Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble for this. Have you guys ever played hide and seek before? I'm sure you have. One of my favorite games. I play it all the time and I still play it quite a bit with my three-year-old and two-year-old now. And I was even talking to one of my friends, uh, one of my neighbors nearby, and she was laughing because at her birthday party every year she still plays a, a modified form of hide-and-seek with all her adult friends out in everybody's yards. It's such a blast. I'm, I'm a preacher's kid, so for me, hide-and-seek, the best place ever to play hide-and-seek was always when we'd be at the church with Dad and nobody else was there. And we could hide in all the nooks and the crannies, all the different places. Nobody could ever find you. The key was, you better be ready to go when Dad was ready to go, because he'd just leave you in the building, and you'd be walking home. I wanted to play hide-and-seek uh, today a little bit, to have some fun, give us some levity, but also because I think it's uh, the, the core picture that you get in the psalm that we're in today. So uh, there's actually a couple Bibles hidden down here. Anybody know where I'm at? If you think you know where I'm at right now, throw it up on Facebook in the feed. What what room do you think this is? We'll let somebody tell you if, if that's the spot or not. But but we're going to be in the Scripture. We're going to be in the Word. So wherever you're at, uh, maybe you're hiding this morning, I don't know. But wherever you're at, I want you to get your Bibles out and get them open and turn them to Psalm 32. If, uh, if you're trying to, if you pulled out your Bible and you're trying to find the Psalm, you can just lay your Bible open almost midway through, right in the halfway point, and there you'll find the Psalms, and then you can just scroll through them. They're numbered one by one. Psalm 32 is really a wonderful text. It has this whole concept of being hidden in God. The psalmist says, in fact, you are my hiding place. We're going to get to that in just a second. But before we want to, we do, I, I want to share something bigger. I, I actually think Psalm 32 is so neat because of some of the background. One, it's a psalm. It's a, the type of psalm that it is, is a psalm that petitions God mercy. It's a, it's a forgiveness psalm. It's, it's a sinful psalm. It's a psalm where the author approaches and begs God for forgiveness and mercy. But why it's different, there's lots of psalms throughout Scripture throughout the Psalter that are like that, that are forgiveness psalms. But this one's a little bit different because whereas in like Psalm 6, Psalm 38, other psalms that are begging for forgiveness, they have this very sorrowful, mourning, kind of mournful tone to them. But Psalm 32 doesn't have that. It actually has a joyful tone. And the other thing that's interesting, it's one of the few psalms of forgiveness that starts this way, blessed is the one. If you know your Psalter, your, your book of Psalms well, you know that's how Psalm 1 starts. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the person. This phrase, blessed, both in the Hebrew and later as Jesus uses it in the Greek, it, it's this term that means blessed are or happy are, and it denotes wisdom literature. It denotes a style of literature that tells you how to live your life, what is the best life. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's translated like happy are. Or, or um, we have this concept of like blessed are, or even I've seen it sometimes like wealthy are, prosperous are, not in the sense of money, but in this is the good life. So this psalm is different because it, even though it's a psalm of forgiveness, what it really focuses on to begin with is what the good life entails. What does a godly life entail? And there's a cycle that you see in Psalm 32 if you really pay attention. It begins with the psalmist begging for forgiveness. In verse 3 and 4, I keep silent, my bones are wasting away, 
In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. Verse 2, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. See, it starts, starts the cycle with unconfessed sin, with sin that's eating away at the person. And then the, psalm, the, the author of the psalm then offers that place of forgiveness. He enters into God's, God's courtroom, God's place, and he, and he confesses freely. He professes his psalms. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a glorious thought. So the, the psalmist starts with this confession of sins. There's a sin that needs to be brought out, needs to be brought forward. And then he confesses the sin. And then, this is where you can see it's a, a psalm about the good life, about what it means to have a good life. And then he says in verse 8, this is God responding, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. It's, it's a relationship of trust, I think, that's happening here. See, sin, what sin does is breaks the trust relationship between God and man. When, when I am, have sin that I haven't dealt with, I have sin that I, I don't, haven't rooted out in my life and I haven't exposed, it creates mistrust between me and God. When I freely confess my sin, that trust bond is put together again and I'm in healthy, trusting relationship with God. And when I'm in trusting relationship with God, I trust that God will guide me and lead me on the way that He wants me to go. I think a lot of us, if we're completely honest with ourselves, play hide and seek with God. Rather than confessing freely and openly the magnitude of our sinfulness, whether we are Christian or haven't yet called on the name of Jesus, in either case, the cycle that repeats itself, and we haven't dealt with, really dealt with, sinfulness in our life. And listen to the way the psalmist describes his life with undealt sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I helped my brother move down to Arizona uh, about a month ago, a little less, and we decided to unload his whole truck in the middle of a hot summer Phoenix day. It was like 112, I think it hit that day, and I, I was sweating, but not really, and it was, it was hard, but not really, and I got like halfway through the truck, and I moved people all the time. I thought, no big deal. I can go all day long, and I was so exhausted. I couldn't believe how exhausted I was, and I turned to my brother, and I was like, man, I am completely shot, and he was like, yeah, that's what the sun does to you out here. It just takes all of your strength from you. That's how the psalmist describes himself when he has unconfessed sins, that he just feels like there's this weight on him all the time. He doesn't have the strength he needs. His life is filled with anxiety and stress all the time. And he has to get the burden of that sinfulness off of him. God goes in. 
God's the one who goes in and he reveals that sin. He makes it known. I, I, I God will. He so desires to be in trusting relationship with us, a, a relationship of mutual trust with us, that he will seek out the sinfulness in our life. No matter where we try and find, hide it, he will seek it out and he will bring it to the forefront. He will give this anxiety over us, this worry all the time. I wonder if we're honest with ourselves if that's what God's not doing a little bit in our lives right now. I don't know what this sin is for you or for me. I know that this cycle of, of digging out sin in our life really doesn't end. It goes on and on even after we profess Christ and become a Christian. And I wonder today, in the midst of everything going on in our world, if there's not God trying to expose to so many of us what our sinfulness is. Here's what I believe for many of us it is. It is the undealt with sin of worry, of anxiety, and of self-reliance. It seems like everything went crazy and everything all of a sudden became out of our control. And for many of us, we lived in a very controlled environment, self-controlled environment. And yet still, as a culture, we have some of the highest rates of anxiety and stress of any, any people group in the world. And maybe God is trying to confront that in our life right now. Because you cannot have anxiety and worry without mistrust in who God is. If that's the sinfulness that you're dealing with, if anxiety is owning your life, if worry is owning your life, if, if stress, if you think you can control your way through all of this, this sinfulness, it doesn't need to just be noticed and God will keep calling it to our attention. What it needs to be do is dealt with. And here's the thing, we don't deal with it by then creating our own management system for how we deal with it. Like we don't put it in the right box and store it in the right closet and see, say, I dealt with that. I organized it. I gave it its little thing. I learned my Zen practice and I worked out enough and I exercised enough. No, when God calls out that sin in our life, he says, you confess it and you bring it to me and I am the one who deals with it. You will never, never hide it from me. I just heard somebody speaking of hiding. Found another spot. This one's pretty good. Uh, I actually just found this spot, period, like two weeks ago. Uh, needs a cleaning, but hey, anybody know where I'm at now? Hey, again, if you know where I'm at, post, post something down on Facebook or make a comment or something. Let me know that you know this uh, hidden spot. So we've confessed our sins. We said to God, God, I've been too self-reliant. Anxiety owns my life. I worry all the time, stressed all the time. I, I really don't trust you. And I, I want to do that. I want to change. And we've confessed and we've brought it before God. And God does the most remarkable thing. He doesn't give us a law then to follow. He doesn't make us any longer offer a sacrifice of some kind. He comes and He redeems us. And He holds us in our brokenness and our frailty. And He says, I know. I knew you could never take care of the whole thing. 
I knew you could never be in charge of everything. I never wanted you to be. I wanted you to learn to trust in me. And the psalmist describes it this way in chapter 32 again. This is what I want you to underline if you're in your Bible or if you're on your Bible app. I want you to highlight this line. This is the snapshot and our Polaroid summer that we have of God today. He says right here, verse 6, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance. I want you to notice three things about this text. You are my hiding place. This is a personal. First thing is this is personal. All throughout the song, he's talked in the plural. He's talked about we or, or us or, you know, back and forth. This is me and mine. But when it comes to what his relationship, the psalmist's relationship is, with God is it's deeply personal. You, Yahweh, you, God of all the earth, you are my hiding place. And the second thing I want you to see is the next one, you will protect me from trouble. We can never be self-reliant enough to protect ourselves from trouble. And no matter how much anxiety or worry we have over an issue, we cannot protect ourselves from all things. We're not even called to do that. We're not supposed to be those people. And to be honest, I look around so often at churches and I look around at people's lives, the people who claim to follow Christ and to be a part of his community. And really what they've built is a whole structure of self-reliance around themselves to protect themselves. And they spend a ton of time worried about protecting themselves and protecting other people. And they make their decisions based in fear and anxiety instead of faith and assurance. God has you. You belong to him. He is your hiding place. And don't you know he will protect you there? And the final thing in this sign, the third point is he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. And the reason we can have a little fun today, we can do something great and something different is because God has joy over us. I love this expression. God sings over us. And not just songs, but he sings over us songs of deliverance. He surrounds us. Like, as we're in the hiding place, he offers us these songs of deliverance. God sings over you. What a joyful thought. You are protected. You are hidden. And God is singing over you. This imagery, the more I studied it this week, and I spent my morning just meditating on this text and these three lines over and over again. And I kept coming to my just on repeat, was about two months ago when my son Jax, a little over two, uh, woke up in the middle of the night and he was crying and he was scared. I mean, he was scared, just a night terror or whatever it was, but he was so scared. And we had just transitioned him to a big boy's bed. And so uh, Kim got up, my wife got up, and she went in the room with him and I could hear him just, I mean, just still screaming, and she was trying to settle him down. You could tell he was terrified. And I thought, all right, I might need to go in and help her. So I got up, and I walked that way. It was about I got to the door, just a little cracked still. As I about got to the door, I heard him kind of tone down, and I didn't hear his voice any longer, except just kind of dull whimper. And I peeked my head just through that crack a little bit, and in there I saw my wife 
holding my son, holding him tight. She just kept saying on repeat, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. And finally, his whimper kind of stopped. And she started to sing. Oh, my best beautiful voice. She started to sing about Jesus. I won't sing it for you and ruin it. God's got you. He's holding you. This whole world can fall to pieces all around us. It doesn't matter. God's got you. He's holding you. You are in his hiding place where he dwells. And he's protecting you. Trust in him. Don't trust in your your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own way. Trust that God will protect you. And hear his song that he sings over you right now. Uh-oh, somebody's coming. Let's get out of here. Let's find a different hiding place. This is it. This is the perfect hiding place. It's Sunday morning, and we're in... Well, do you know where I'm at? If you know where I'm at, post it on Facebook. Yeah, I think most of you probably know where I'm at now. But if you really think about it, you could go to many churches all across this country, and honestly, all across the world today, and you could go into this space in that church building and hide completely by yourself. It's a great hiding place, isn't it? We've confessed our sins. We've said God rooted out, and then we found our hiding place with God, in God. It's an interesting thing. I wanted to talk about it because the next thing Psalms talks about is like, guide my life, lead my life from that hiding place. And I'm like, man, how can you live a life from a hiding place? When I'm in hiding, it means I'm, I'm distancing myself from everybody else in the world. I'm trying to like stay away from everybody else. And, and right now we've got all these people that are all over the building, I'm sure, looking for me and trying to find me. But I'm in my hiding place not wanting to be found. Maybe, maybe the right game actually is not hide and seek today. Maybe it's the um, the other game that you play when you're a kid that's the opposite, um, sardines. Do you remember sardines? Where, where one person hides and all the other people come and they hide with that person until the last person finally finds them. Maybe that's the game we're really playing is we're hiding with God. And I was going to talk about this. Like we bring other people into our hiding place with God, right? Like our hiding place in God, we bring other people into. And my original thing I want to talk about is, are we bringing other people into our hiding place? But I I think I've missed the point again. And I was convicted the more I read and the more I studied on this. Listen to Colossians in chapter three. Since then, verse one, since then you have been raised with Christ through baptism. You, you die with Christ in baptism and you're raised to life again in the resurrection of Jesus, okay? You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, he says, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ is hidden. Where's he hidden? He's seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above, not on these earthly things. For you died, you died. And your life, listen to this part, your life, is now hidden with Christ in God. I wonder if there's not echoes of Psalm 32 in Paul's mind as he's writing that. 
your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not really a place, is it? We're not really looking for the hiding place. We're looking for who we hide in. And Christ gives us through our redemption and our reconciliation of a trust relationship with God in Christ, we then can hide in God with Christ. And I think this is interesting. And I just want to, I want to make this point. I want to make it really, really clear. I think we as Christians need to be very careful right now during this time, what we are teaching our neighbors who don't know God about God. What we have tended to say right now, if you really listen to our voices, what we've tended to say is the most important thing about being a Christian is us gathering together on a Sunday morning in a space like this. But that's not it, is it? It's not the place. We don't worship a God of the place. We worship a God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you are hidden with Christ in God. There's no, there's, no, there's no space in your life where you are not protected and joyfully sung over. When you go to work and you feel the anxiety of heading through those doors, you need to know in that spot, in that place, you, because God is transcendent and He is the creator of all, you in that place are protected by God. You are, you are hiding in God right there. Christ has brought you, brought you there. There's no place. So we, we got to quit being so fixated on what place we're in all the time. And we need to be more fixated on the person of Jesus Christ who invites us to that hiding place. What I want to tell my neighbors is not. The most important thing you can do as a Christian is show up to church on a Sunday morning. What I want to tell my neighbors is the good news of the resurrected Jesus who secures us eternally for salvation. What are we really sharing with the 